Turn to Matthew chapter 28. We're going to be looking at verses 19 and 20 uh, as a part of what we're going to be dealing with this morning. Uh, I did not make this announcement when I made the announcements because I wanted to make it now, and that is, it is actually on, or it doesn't work, one of the two. Am I on or not? Okay. Okay. Where was I? Oh, we are going to have a baptismal service December 6th at 6 o'clock Sunday evening. And uh, if you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior and you've never been baptized, the logical, practical, and intended next step after salvation is that you are baptized uh, by water. And we're going to talk about that for a few moments this morning because uh, I believe that in this world, among people who are truly born again, people that simply go to church or claim to be Christians, or the world in general, there's a lot of misinformation and misunderstanding about the whole concept of baptism. Why we do it, what it means, why we should do it, and what it doesn't mean or what it should mean. So, first of all, I believe that there's two directions. One is baptism is underemphasized. It's like, it's only about Jesus, don't worry about anything else. Well, that's just not true of the whole spiritual life. If you're going to grow as a Christian, it's not just, I got saved, I'm going to heaven, I'm not going to hell. Christ is my Savior, my sins are forgiven, and now I'll just do whatever. Uh, that's not the biblical concept. On the other hand, many people overemphasize baptism and basically make baptism everything. It's a ritual over relationship. And so if you get baptized, uh, everything is okay. And, uh, you know, you know for sure you're going to heaven, or at least you hope you are, because you were baptized. Lots of churches preach that. Lots of people believe that. Uh, and if you got baptized even as a baby and got some couple of drops of water put on your head, uh, you're going to heaven. You don't have to worry. Uh, and by the way, you can't leave that, that uh, group because if you do, you'll go to hell. That, that kind of thing. And uh, the Bible gives us a balanced approach to this whole thing and a biblical approach. And that is simply this. We practice, the Bible teaches, believers Baptism. Now, there are all kinds of baptisms in the Bible. We're only talking about one of them this morning, and that's believer's baptism that involves water. We're going to talk about how much water and how you do that in a moment, but that is what we're going to look at. So as we look at this whole thing, we need to look at the whole meaning of the word. Words have meanings. The Bible doesn't use words indiscriminately. It uses them because they mean something very specific. The, the Greek language is very specific in how it uses words, and the Bible uses them that way. The word baptism in the Bible and the Greek culture of the day when it was written and the Greek, I'm sorry, the Greek language that was used, it means to dip. 
you place something in. It doesn't matter. If I dip my hands in the water, I have baptized my hand, and that's the way it could be used, and it is used actually that way in the Bible. But it always means that the object in question, in this case it's a human being who has trusted Christ, is placed into the water. It never has to do with you take the bucket and dump it on top of the person, no, or, or you can't really get into it. You know, immerse yourself in a bucket, but but if you bucket was big enough, it always is the dip part. It's never the opposite of that. That's the way it is uh, in the Bible. In fact, is in the Bible, it is a logical, natural, and normal next step for all those that have trusted Christ. I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter twenty-eight, verses nineteen. Notice what Jesus's marching orders were to his disciples. As, they, as he comes to the end of his ministry. Go therefore, and in essence, if you want to put that in real practical, as you are going. It doesn't say you need to go to Japan or you need to go to the next county. When you leave here, wherever you go, you go to work on Monday morning, as you are going, these are the things you should do. Now, you can go to the ends of the earth. That's not the issue. But it's simply a normal thing that believers are going to be doing. Go, therefore, make disciples. Those are ones that a disciple is one who is a learner, and they start with many times curiosity or because you've confronted them with the truth of the gospel. But they learn, they come to trust Christ, and they begin to grow. He says, make disciples and notice the next thing, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's a part of the ministry that cannot be neglected. Shouldn't be overemphasized or underemphasized, but it is a part of the ministry that we have. And then he goes on to say, oh, and by the way, continue on teaching them all the things that I have commanded you. And by the way, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So he says, this is not a short-term thing. This is a long-term thing. So that's the, the verse that I would go to if you said, hey, wh where do you go to and find out what baptism's about? I would go probably here first. Plenty of other places to go, but I'd probably go to that one first. So as we talked about, this means, the word means, to dip. When you look at what happens in the Bible by practice and by way of account, you find out that this word is used in a very specific way. For example, in Greek, if a blacksmith was uh, making a sword, a spear, a plowshare, uh, or um, a horseshoe, or whatever it was, he would take that and baptize it into a vat of water. I do some welding and a few things in my shop, and to cool something down, I have a vat of water of some sort, and I dip it in. It identifies with the temperature of the water, cools it down, and tempers it. When they dyed clothing, they used this exact word, because they would take the cloth, and some of you ladies have done this, maybe men have too, they'll put dye in the wash machine, it's a good place to do it. And they put whatever they're dyeing in the wash machine, and it identifies with the color of the dye. Now, you don't take the wash machine and dump it upside down on your curtains or whatever you're, you're dyeing. You, you don't do it that way. In fact, is the Greeks use this word in a way we do not. Oh, by the way, I want to make this clear. 
They, of a ship that was sunk at sea in either a battle or in a storm, they would say the ship got baptized. Now, in that case, the ship goes down, never comes back up. We do not practice that one because people wonder, you know, Paul, if you're going to baptize us by immersion, are you going to bring us back up? I assure you that I have baptized a guy who weighed 400 pounds. Now, my kids laugh about this, and just because it's humorous, is when he went in the water, he displaced that much water that we had a tidal wave come right up over top of the baptismal fountain because he displaced a lot of water. But you know what? When you're in the water, I can pick you right back up again. So we're not going to practice that kind. But in Greek, that's what it was. But in the Bible, it's used of people who ceremonially cleanse their hands. And people say, well, they, they, they could have poured water on. No, if you're doing it yourself, there was no indoor plumbing in spigots where you turn the hot and cold on and you put your hands under and do this. You did it in a basin. And we know that from history that that's how they did it. So, and they did the same thing with their, their dishes that they ceremonially washed and those kinds of things. Uh, they did that. But the one that we know, and I actually saw this, and I'll have a picture of it later, is that if you were a Jewish person and you were going on to the Temple Mount uh, to worship or to bring offerings or sacrifices or any of those kinds of things, before you were allowed to go on the Temple Mount, you had to ceremonially baptize yourself. You know how they did that? You, they say, no, oh, that's not possible. All those people... Oh, yes, it was. And if you go to Jerusalem, if you go to Israel and go to Jerusalem, the ruins are still there. At the entrance to the temple, not exactly at the entrance, but a little ways away, there, were a there was a building, or buildings, I believe, that had, were full of what I would call stone bathtubs. You would literally go into them and ceremonially dunk yourself under and come back up. Here's what people don't understand. If you went on the Temple Mount, your hairdo that you have this morning would not be in place. Just like when you get baptized by immersion, you come out. I, I don't know if this is too crude, but you come out looking like a drowned rat. If you, you know, maybe That wasn't even funny, was it? But anyhow, it's true. And I've had people say, well, I'll get my hair messed up. The answer is yes, you will. Um, because that's the way it is. But everybody that went on the Temple Mount, that's the way they went in. Because that was what the Jewish people required for them to go. You had to be ceremonially clean. Didn't save them or anything like that. But we know from Scripture and we know from history that they practiced baptism by immersion. And the early Christians, and I'll have a slide on this later, the early Christians did exactly what the Jewish people did, and that was totally their understanding. In fact is, as you go through Scripture, for example, John the Baptist, and his name is the exact same, his descriptive name is exactly this word. Uh, when Jesus came to him, they went down into the water, and he baptized them, and then they came back out. Well, if you're already in the water and then you baptize somebody, you're in the water and then you put them, you dip them into the water. Even if, and I don't believe this, but even if you said, well, sprinkling or pouring is the, the symbolism of the Bible, uh, you're still in the water one way or the other. In fact is, probably the classic is Acts chapter 8. It's Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. They're riding back in the chariot, uh, 
Philip comes up, he explains the scriptures, the eunuch, he said, I believe, and he said, what prevents me from baptizing? Look, there's water. So they get out of the chariot, they go down into the water, Philip baptized him. Remember, they go down into the water, and Philip baptized him. So what's happening is they walk into the water, he baptizes them, and then it says they come back up out of the water. So the illustrations and the practical is all there. It matches the definition of the word. What they practice is exactly that. So what are the effects of it? I already mentioned this, and I'm going to do it quickly. Is it's identification. In a few minutes, we'll look at Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6 is not about water baptism. It is about something that happens spiritually. Here's what happens, folks. You may not know it, you may not have experienced, you may not have known it when you got saved. I did not. When you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are spiritually dying with Christ. Your old self is dead. You're separated from it. You are buried. It's a done deal. You don't bury live people. And you were raised with Jesus Christ. That's the symbolism that is seen in Romans chapter 6 and also in the book of Colossians. It, it does the same exact thing. In fact, is one of the most important things that we see in the Bible, the base word for baptism is found in a very unique passage. It's what we call the Last Supper uh, in the book of, I mean, in the Gospels when Jesus eats his Last Supper at the Passover with his disciples. He says, the one who, and your version's going to say dips, his morsel in the, the food with me is the one that's going to betray me. Guess what word that is? It's the word baptized. They took a piece of matzo, like we would use a spoon or a fork, and they would dip it into a common bowl and use that like a spoon or a fork or whatever. Um, I don't think they double dipped. Maybe they did. I don't know. My wife has fits about that. I'm a little crude. I would double dip, but uh, Faye doesn't go for that. But nonetheless, that's what they would do. But I have never taken the dip and poured it on top. You dip it in, and that's the word. So we know how the word was used and its symbolism. And of course, you know Judas is the one who betrayed him. But I'm going to move on. Because those examples that I... And I got ahead of myself. I, uh, those examples were what I already did. Sorry, I, got, I'm, I know I'm lacking time, so I got ahead of myself. But Romans chapter 5. And here's something interesting. My wife does what uh, Matthew chapter 28 says. Wherever she goes with her customers, she has witnessed to, I believe all of them, if not all of them, most of them. As she is going, she takes the gospel. Well, she has a customer that she has been witnessing to uh, on a regular basis. She's given her two books now um, to deal with. And when we were on vacation last Saturday night, she said, I've invited these people to go out to supper together, and afterwards we're going to come back to the, the cottage in Gretna, and uh, we're going to have an opportunity to talk to them. Now, they're very open to listening. We spent about two and a half hours talking about the gospel, and this is the verse I started with. Because the wife in particular said, well, I know about Jesus, but I have to do something. Baptism is a do something. It's a work. That's not what the Bible teaches. So 
Three things that I'm just going to point out this morning. First of all, baptism does not replace faith, period. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. We're, we're in good terms with Him through the Lord Jesus Christ. The word justified means to be declared righteous or be right with God. It is not by baptism or any other thing you can do. Period. Cannot happen. It's always by faith. Faith simply means trusting, believing, accepting what's been offered to you. And I take it by faith. I am made right, declared right with God by faith, not baptism. That wipes out about three-quarters of what I know people teach about baptism. The second part is the next verse. It doesn't replace faith for our appropriation of God's grace, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into His grace in which we stand. If you don't understand what grace is, I'll give you the easiest way. There's way more to it than this. But grace is a gift. If I offer something to someone... Uh, I did not buy this, but the church did. Uh, but somebody paid for it. But if I offer it and I say, here, you can have this, it's a gift, that's grace. Somebody paid for it, but it's free to you. That's great. That's grace. He says, all the things that God has done for us are offered as a gift. There's no way you can pay for it. Again, notice the key word is faith. Not doing something. It is an act of our mind, our heart, and our will. That's what it is. And, and without that, it's not faith. He said, you have those things that God has made available. You have them by faith. Last one is, our salvation is not based on baptism. Unfortunately, most churches and cults teach some form of baptismal regeneration where they say, if you get baptized, you're a Christian. We'll talk about that real quickly later. But it is never that way. For by grace are you saved through faith. Notice the words grace and salvation. Salvation is always by faith. You cannot add anything to it. If you add anything to it, you messed it up. Because the Bible's clear across the board. It's Always by faith, plus nothing, minus nothing. That's the way it is. In fact, as he says, it's the gift of God, not as a result of works, baptism would be a work, so that no one may boast. You see, if there was anything you could add to faith in Jesus Christ and the finished work of Christ, guess what? You could say, I did it better than you, I'm better than you. People insinuate that. Sometimes because I'm a pastor that I got something somebody else doesn't have. The answer is absolutely not. I have to correct them all the time. It's like, no, I'm just a normal, every, everyday person who trusted Christ and I have an extraordinary job. That's, that's the difference. I'm nobody special, but I'm praise the Lord God has given me this opportunity. So it's always by faith. Anything that puts baptism in that mix is definitely not from the Bible. So what are some of the wrong concepts? I've kind of hinted at a few of these, but let me go over them very quickly. That baptism is a sacrament. I don't know if you know what a sacrament is, but the, the definition is a means of grace. And what that, that means is this. 
is that the merits of Christ, what he did on the cross, is appropriated to you by doing some kind of ritual or some other thing. It is always 100%, that's why I did the, the, the faith part first, it's always by faith, never a ritual, never doing something. Good works, keeping the Ten Commandments, or getting baptized. None of those have anything to do with it. It is not a sacrament. Baptism does not put on my account the merits of Christ. It just does not. It, many uh, denominations teach that it's the spiritual door that opens to, uh, it's the door that opens to spiritual life. Sorry, I got that backwards. Uh, and that is simply not true. It is when you have trusted Christ, now it gives you the first opportunity, in some cases, to proclaim, here I am, I stand with Christ, I've trusted Christ, and I want everyone to know it. That's why baptismal services are some of the best services I've ever been to. You know what? Because you don't have to hear me preach, but you hear other people saying, this is how God worked in my life. I believe we have seven or eight people that are going to get baptized. Some of them are, you know, Adults, big-time adults, and some are younger kids. We're going to do it right up here someplace. Uh, that's our, our, so we can spread out a little. We usually do it in the basement. We're going to do it up here. Because I hope all of you come. You will never leave a service more encouraged than a baptismal service. I, I, that's my opinion. You, if you don't believe me, show up and see if you, you agree afterwards. How's that? That'll work. Okay. Baptism is necessary for salvation. I already went over that. It removes the guilt of sin. Nope. Because we're declared righteous by faith. It gets rid of all the punishment. No. Christ took the punishment. And when we trust Christ by faith, it's already dealt with. Baptism cannot do that. It infuses the life of God within us. Somehow or the other, when you get baptized, all of a sudden God comes in your life. I'm going to tell you this, a ritual and water won't do that. That is, again, sorry, I keep repeating myself, that's faith. It makes you a part of the church. Some places they, they teach that, well, when you get baptized, you automatically become a member of the church. Uh, biblically, uh, I mean, you can do that if you want to, but it's definitely not something that is inherently biblical. Uh, it enables you to participate in the sacraments. Remember, the only way to be right with God is by faith. Whether you get saved by faith or live by faith, it's always by faith. But many teach, well, you can't take the Lord, you cannot participate in the Lord's Supper unless you were baptized. The Bible nowhere ever states anything like that. Oops, I went too far. And then the last one, and this is the one that really scares me, is that it brings about rebirth. In other words, when they talk about baptism, they say, I was born again. And when somebody tells me, well, I was born again, I say, what do you mean by that? And if they start telling me, I was born again because when I was a baby or when I was this or that or the other thing, um, I, I became born again. When I was 12 years old in the church I grew up in, uh, it was expected you go to catechism, and after that, they'd sprinkle a couple of drops of water on your head. It makes you uh, a Christian and makes you a part of the church, member of the church. And so for the next, see, that would be, I was 12, that in the next nine years, I said, I guess I'm okay. Until I heard the gospel that it's by faith in Jesus Christ, not going through a ritual that the pastor had us go through. 
that I trusted Christ. I was 21 by that time. I wasted all those years thinking that a ritual saved me. It did not. Many people go to John chapter 3 and say, look, John chapter 3 says you have to be born of water and the Spirit. Go back and look at the parallels. One is by water, it is physical. Look at it, it's a parallel. It's Talking about, some of you ladies know exactly what I'm talking about, but when the water breaks, you better be heading for the hospital, or you should be there by that. You know? And the other is spiritual. One's physical birth, one's spiritual birth. Both of them are needed. Uh, <clears throat> what is the biblical basis? I'm in a hurry, folks. I'm going to skip through this because I can do the rest on right here. Is what is the basis? I already told you about Romans chapter 6. That is not water baptism in front of you on the screen. That is what happened when you trusted Christ. We were baptized into Christ Jesus. We've been baptized into his death. That has nothing to do with water. We were buried with him through baptism into his death. And as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in the newness of life, united with him, and that's the united here with the spiritual baptism, in the likeness of his death, and we know that's baptism into his death, then we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And so when we practice uh, baptism, my wife grew up in the church where they baptize you three times frontwards. We joke about they tried to drown you or scare you, but that's a joke, it's not real. But the point is, they had a reason for doing that. Um, it, it doesn't seem to be biblical, because they don't do that to you when in any kind of a funeral or any kind of thing like that. It's, it's once time. It simply symbolizes, outwardly, as a ritual, water, identification on the outside of what actually happened in Romans chapter 6, verse 3. I didn't know that. I know it now because I went back and studied. Remember, you continue on after baptism, continue teaching. That's what I'm trying to do now, is that in the likeness of that, so when we practice baptism, we baptize people, we place them in the water, symbolizing exactly what this says, in an outward way, showing that I identified with Christ, here I am, here's where I stand, this is what I believe, and I want everyone to know it. In the United States, it doesn't have a big impact on those around you, but it's always public. Other countries, you can be a believer, but until you get baptized, you're not a target for the persecution. So um, I, get, I, do, I really need to do this quick, folks, so sorry about this. But, but anyway, there are three basic modes that people use. The first one is sprinkling or aspersion. Uh, and they go back and they say, well, the priests, you know, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says we're sprinkled with clean water. It's not talking about baptism at all there. Some say it's pouring and they go to Acts chapter 2 and they say, well, <clears throat> when the church started, Peter told them to be baptized and there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It was a whole new thing God was doing the church. Uh, but again, it is not directly correlated with baptism. It was something that happened at that time but it doesn't have to do with the baptism itself. And then there's the one that meets the practical, the definitional, and the actual accounts that we have from the Bible, and that is that someone is dipped or placed into the water. These are pictures of the ruins outside the temple in Jerusalem. And you just walk down, baptize yourself, and then go onto the temple grounds. So when that first day of the church, the day of Pentecost, 
People say, well, 3,000 people couldn't have got baptized in one day. Oh, yes, they could, because it wouldn't have been an unusual thing for 3,000 people to come on the temple grounds in one day. They could easily do that. It was no problem for them to do that. But again, that is why we practice that. What is the history of baptism? Because some people say, yeah, but my background practices this. This is the most uh, concise history you'll ever find. When it started, the Jews only understood one form of baptism. I already explained that, and the early church did exactly the same. Why? Because the original believers in the church were baptized exactly the same place, the same way that the Jewish people were baptized. By the 13th century, when the church had gone away from the Lord, somebody said to me, the more liberal you are, the less water you use. I don't know if that's true or not, but uh, anyway, the church really got in bad shape by the 1300s, and they went down to a few drops of water on somebody and said, that's baptism. Of course, they believed by that time that if you got sprinkled, it made you a Christian, and you were a part of the church, and your sins are forgiven, and all that. Then when the Reformation came along, guess what? They said, hey, we believe the Bible, and we believe in salvation by faith. They went back to practicing believers' baptism by immersion. But again, as they got away from the Bible, and even to this day, uh, they... It didn't go so much to sprinkling, but to pouring in this case. But the point is <clears throat> that believer's baptism is always public identification with what happened spiritually. And I'm going to go over time here for a second. Is baptism is expected as an act of obedience? And you say, well, is there any spiritual connotation to baptism? The answer is yes, there is. Because in 1 Peter, it says that we, when we get baptized, we have a clear conscience. Why? Because I've taken a public stand for Jesus Christ. Not just in my mind and my heart and my, my life, but I've made it clear. Here I stand. This is where I stand. This is what I believe. This is what I have done. And this is what has happened to me. So it gives you a clear conscience. You said, I'm standing up for Christ. But people will say, hold it a second. What about Mark chapter 16? Because it says there, and it does, it says, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. You say, isn't that pretty clear? You have to believe and be baptized. First of all, it would contradict everything else I know about baptism in the Bible. But here's the key. You need to find out what the rest of the sentence says. Because when you take something out of context, you have a problem. But, Notice the but. There's a contrast here. He who has disbelieved shall be condemned. You notice what it doesn't say? It doesn't say, he who hasn't believed and hasn't been baptized will be condemned. Condemnation is not because I didn't get baptized. It's because I haven't believed. But when you go back to the first part of the verse, it's simply this. And, and it is disputed whether this actually belongs in the Bible. I'm assuming it does. Simply this. The one... Um, word puts those two together. It is just so assumed, and by the way, look in your New Testament, when people got saved, they almost immediately got baptized. That doesn't happen today too often, but uh, back then it did. You, got, you believed, you immediately got baptized. That was the assumption, that it was the very logical, uh, practical next step as a believer, an act of obedience. That's what it was, because I've trusted Christ. I want everyone to know it. It's God's way 
of giving a testimony. Why? It's obedience, and obedience brings blessing. It brings a good conscience. Go back and look at 1 Peter chapter 3, and you'll see where that comes from. I've run out of time, way out of time. Let's all stand together as we close. <clears throat> Father, uh, we've covered a lot of territory in a short amount of time. There's a lot more, and I just pray that we would look very carefully at what the Bible says, what the Word means, how they actually practice it, practice baptism, and the symbolism that goes with it. Lord, help us to be those that are willing to take a stand and have a good conscience. Be obedient to what God says. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone here that's never trusted Christ, they don't need baptism, they need faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that if you don't know that for sure that you're saved, that you would ask Christ to save you by faith. Trust that He paid for your sin and that He wants to give you an, a, a gift of grace and give you new life by faith. And Lord, for anyone that's trusted Christ and never been baptized, Lord, I pray that they would see that this is indeed an act of faith that it makes them a public testimony of what Jesus Christ has done for them. Lord, thanks for reminding us of these things today. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. Go with God.